to the Built on Air podcast, the variety show for all things Airtable. Each episode, we cover four different segments. It's always fresh and different and lots of fun while you get the insider info on all things Airtable. Our hosts and guests are some of the most senior experts in the Airtable community. Join us live each week on our YouTube channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And join our active community at builtonair.com join. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor, OntoAir.com. Any business running on Airtable gets the value that Airtable has, but also needs a few more functions to complete their operations. That's where OntoAir comes in. It's a suite of tools for any business running on Airtable to maximize your operations efficiencies and automations. One customer, John, states that OntoAir enables his business to function properly without having to think about building their own software. And that is pretty invaluable. The OntoAir Airtable apps are amazing and we use them often and are very happy with the results. So join John and hundreds more customers and take your Airtable to the next level with OntoAir. Sign up today with promo code BUILTONAIR for a 10% discount. Check them out at OntoAir.com. And now let's check out today's episode and see what we built on air. Welcome back to the Built on Air podcast. We are on episode seven of season 15. Good to be back with you. We've got a regular crew with us, Ali, Scott, and Camille. Welcome, everyone. Hello. Thank you. Hi. We'll be uh, we'll have a, an hour long episode talking about everything Airtable. I'll go through what we're going to be talking about. We always start with our round the bases and what people, what's new from Airtable, any discussions and communities. Then a shout out spotlight on on onto Air, our primary sponsor. Then Scott's going to walk us through email inline actions and how to generate uh, actions within your emails. Um, then Camille is going to walk through the latest and greatest with timelines. There's some new updates we'll be talking about. And then a shout out to join our community. And then we'll end with some scripting and timestamping with Ali. Okay. With that, around the bases, a few updates from Airtable. The first one, uh, the timeline, which we will dive deep into with Camille, but I'll spotlight kind of what they talked about says a redesign summary bar, drill into tasks and projects, assign tasks to multiple people, time off, and then also collapse timeline groups by default and smarter summary calculations. Some good stuff in timeline. Any high level stuff before we uh, dive deep into that later in the show? Really excited to see the collapsing by default. Because the timeline view, I think, is one that could really benefit from that feature. Um, Really glad to see that. Things get sort of tall very quick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, cool. Yeah, excited to see that. We'll give you first look. I think this was uh, yesterday this was announced. So this is hot off the press. (laughs) We'll be showing you what's new there. Uh, another one, I think we sneak peeked this one in the built-on air community, but literally like minutes after the show ended, um, mm-hmm. they published their announcement of print interface pages and save them as PDFs. So what can you print or save? Um, so here's the layouts that they support, list, timeline, calendar, record detail. 
up to a hundred record detail pages in one PDF. Also charts are printable. Um, so there's a print option under the dot, dot, dot menu. I, has anyone here been able to actually get this to work? Cause I tried the other day with a couple interfaces and that menu just was not there. <laughs> so it just wasn't. Uh, I, I've seen the um, menu a couple of times. I can have it work situationally. Some pages print exactly as I would expect them and some are a little bit wonky. Uh, basically anything that starts to get too wide to fit neatly within a page, it just, you know, it's not as, it doesn't adapt as well as I would hope it to when I'm trying to print something. But um, if it's a simple sort of layout that just sort of fits roughly within the size of a, a page, then I've been able to get it to look pretty okay. I haven't tried a chart yet. My understanding is that charts can be printed independently. So you could have literally just the output of the chart exported, which um, could be nice, but I haven't been able to. That sounds really nice. I like, I just literally, I have no, like I've seen it on an interface that's shared with me i've seen the dot 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 menu but on my interfaces even if i create a brand new one it's just not there and i can't find a setting to get it to show up so i'll have to look into it further but it doesn't seem super straightforward yeah and it does say that it'll be rolling out over the next couple of weeks so just, that's good i do find it odd that gallery isn't supported for printing quite yet just because it, it's the most consistent layout if that makes sense. Um, Kanban have variable hard sizes. Timeline, of course, we just talked about it being very wide and very tall. Grid is a crapshoot and, and list is somewhat more predictable than grid in terms of print compatibility, but not really. Gallery is very, you know, there's a CSS property exactly for this very purpose. Um, and it uh, it's strange that to me that one wasn't um, available at launch. So I wonder, what about gallery under the hood makes it more complex than uh, some of the layouts that they've made it enable for us? It. My my favorite part of this is this word right here. Yet. Which is not supported yet. And especially this one right here. Automation support mm. generating PDF. So that's the big one. I don't know if that's an insight that it might be coming. We'll see. That would be awesome. Uh, I'm pretty happy about the exporting a CSV um, just because if you have certain business users and, and you've said you only have access to this interface, not the whole base, but they need to take that data and do something with it, there's no real way for them to get all of that information. And so giving the conditional ability to export a grid or a gallery or whatever as a CSV would be pretty useful so you don't have to sh uh, shove people back into the base just to get mm. the data out of there. Yeah. Totally. Just like Ali, I do not seem to have access to this yet. So I'm, so it probably hasn't been rolled out to me yet, but I'm looking forward to playing with it though. Me too. Yeah. And they, they do say later, we don't yet have a planned release date for any of the areas we don't support yet. Um, so it looks like these aren't uh, fast follow like they do sometimes with quick future follow-on releases <clears throat> so we'll see that will be a huge game changer when we can automate pdf creation 
Yeah, that will. That'll change everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if that's kind of the, the future of the page designer, like they don't need page mm-hmm. designer because you just build an interface. Right. Well, page designer is unique. I think, I think there's things that it, it's a better fit for than creating a, an interface. There's one feature in page designer that I wish you could do in interfaces, which is if you just type in a field name with squiggly brackets in the text element of a page designer page, it replaces that with the value of the field of the record you're looking at. That would be super cool. Like you could actually like have a paragraph with details about the record that you're looking yeah. at. Right. Yeah. I would love handlebar support. I don't know. Yeah. If we'll get it. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's a pipe dream for sure. Fingers crossed. See, I got both fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Okay, very good. A couple more um, things that were spotted mostly from the built on air community. Uh, ben pointed out a new right click menu. Maybe it is this unlink uh, record. So this is uh, if you right click on a, on a linked record field. Uh, I assume it's if you're hovering over the actual element that's linked. You can unlink it, which basically means like remove that one element from the linked record. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if if they'll start or do they already use that that naming convention of like linking and unlinking? Is that already kind of how they they refer to linked records? I guess they're linked records, so that would make sense. In the interfaces, yeah, in the interfaces, they they are they act, they explicitly have you know allow users to link and unlink records as a toggle yeah yeah it's a it's a separate ability from adding new records in the for uh, in the first place so um they've separated out those two permissions yeah because i think when they have like the x above it i i bet people get confused like if that's unlinking or actually deleting that that record yeah i have to agree people do that does scare people a lot i think and uh, when yeah. you have the option enabled to delete, it's um, delete is in red text and it, it says delete record. But if you don't see the option unlink record versus deleting record, it, that might be confusing. If you don't know that there is a separate option to delete the record and you just can't see it. Right. Now, one interesting thing about this is this is only in interfaces back in the normal grid view or whatever. There's the unlink record option is not there. Okay. But they do have, you know, there's a lot of different ways to get rid of them there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they have the X there. So, yeah. That's a new little uh, tidbit. Let's see. I think there's another one. Um, oh, yeah. Is this new on lookup fields? So mm-hmm. it's a limit the number of items shown, limit to the last, and you can enter a number or the first. So it gives you some limiting options. Find that really interesting, but um, as Josh Sorensen here pointed out, there's definitely some confusion. People don't really understand how that order is set. And it's really just set by whatever order you're linking the records in. Um, But I'd love some more control, you know, like if you've got for me, I would love to be able to apply the same array functions you can to roll-ups to a lookup field. Like um, if you're mm-hmm. looking up single selects and you've got the same single select looked up 
50 times and you just, you know, apply a unique function to that. So you only see one of them. That would be amazing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think this is an incredible step in the right direction. I think this will be helpful for many, many people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but like Ali was saying, there's currently not like a meaningful way, you know, there has to be a meaningful way that the linked records are sorted automatically. Um, now you can manually shuffle them around. You could create a script to shuffle them around. You could use make.com to shuffle them around, but that's all really, you know, a lot of extra work. If in the linked record field, there was just a checkbox to sort by blank field, that would be amazing. Then that would be, that would be everything we would ever need for linked records fields and lookup fields. So to me, this feels like this is halfway to the finish line. So I'm, I'm hoping that they take it all the way to the finish line because this is a great, great first step here. Yeah. yeah. I'm, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that makes me really excited. Um, I have, there was one thing I noticed and I think Dan, I showed you after a show. I don't know that we ever pointed it out on the show, um, but I have an enterprise account and I noticed that I had lost the ability to reorder those records by clicking and dragging them around. When expanding, so expanding from the grid view, when you expand what the linked record field looks like, and you can reorder those by dragging, in my enterprise account, no longer available, can't do that anymore. And I emailed support, and they were like, actually, that's, uh, they were like, that's expected behavior for now, Um, like, stay tuned, basically. And I was like, okay, like, I'm hoping that that's because you're working on the ability to sort things by a particular field and they were like oh yeah we appreciate your feedback that's a great idea I'm like okay like I don't know Ho- hopefully that means that it is coming I don't actually know um but yeah it's weird it was only my enterprise account um and regular pro account still has that feature so we'll see very interesting Wow, that's a big one for them to remove. That's that's very useful to shuffle those around. It is. And there was a workaround. So if you expand the entire record itself, then in that expanded card layout, you can still move them around. It's just when you expand just the linked record itself. In the, Interesting. That yeah. That's weird. It's really wow. weird. I hope that all gets resolved soon. Me too. Because I, I rely on that sometimes. I do have a script that, and I've gone over in, in one episode, like probably a couple months ago, I went over a script to sort those linked records by whatever field you want. Um, and that still works. And I still rely on that a lot. But sometimes you just need to manually pop something where you want it to go. That's but, right. Sorry, that was a long rant without being able to actually show what I'm talking about. But I hope it made sense. <laughs> It made sense. It made perfect sense. Camille, any final thought on this one? I mean, just in general, I would like some parity between rollups, lookups, and formulas. <laughs> um, just because um, linked records aren't the only array type field, um, multi selects don't have the benefit of using um, rollup functions like. Um, you don't need array unique, but um, something like just, I, I don't know how to phrase what I want to say, but just I want some of the formulas that work in rollups to also work in regular formula fields. I want some of the functions for 
um, rollups, particularly array unique to work in lookups so you don't have repeated um, options, or I want rollups to have the ability to display themselves um, as whatever field type they're summarizing, just because being able to, um, you know, flatten or only show you unique options or things like that will only give you a text looking value without the ability to click on a linked record field if that's the field that you're summarizing or yeah. see the color of a select option. And so you have to pick one of these three fields if you want like a piece of a feature, whereas many of them are doing similar things. It feels like there should be, you know, some of the features should exist across all three, but they're very so uh, specialized into one particular field. But this, it's, it's odd to me that you would have first or last added to lookup fields, but not necessarily rollup fields. Right, yeah. It's, it's not that a lookup field wouldn't need this, it's that a rollup would also probably need this. So it's strange that it was added to one and not the other. Yeah, and to your point about clicking on things, it would be really, really great if in a lookup field, you could expand that field and click on any of those records to, to zoom in, to show you the detail of the record that's being looked up. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Good stuff. Hopefully, our table's listening. <laughs> Hopefully, they're listening. Yeah. One more. This was something I don't. I don't think I've seen this, but uh, Russell points out in the list view. If you have, I assume this is for like attachment fields. If you have a media file in your attachment, it'll have a, an auto a built-in media player in line. Oh. A nice little feature there. Very nice. Yeah, I, this almost looks like like a just a sketch of it or something. I don't know, but <laughs> but yeah, that could come in handy if if you've got media files. Although if you've got big media files, your table may not be the place to store them. True. All right, last one uh, coming from Facebook. This one was uh, somebody pointed it out in the built-on air community as well, of getting a lot of attention. There's some cool um, um, templates being built. Andrew, and there's another one that he posted previously a couple of days prior to this. Um, oh, and there's Russell jumping in, watching the show. He got called out. It's very wireframe looking. Yes, it is, Russell. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so Andrew is posting, um, some pretty nice looking templates. So if, uh, if you're in need of a uh, time tracking and the other one was, I believe, a project management, a habit tracker, I think. Habit tracker, Thank you. That's what it was. Um, he's willing to share, just post in the comments. So join the Airtable community group on Facebook and, uh, you can see those posts. So pretty cool. Um, stuff being shared there mm -hmm. very cool all right that concludes around the bases everything going on a few a few updates and 
tidbits from the Airtable communities. We're going to move on. Uh, Antwerp is our primary sponsor. Antwerp is now a backup solution. I think I mentioned we'll have a new slide here for the next season. We'll get this updated, but we are now focusing on our backup solution to help you back up all your data. Make sure you follow best practices to always have your data backed up in more than one location. Uh, Antwerp is, is the leading backup solution focused entirely on Airtable. And quick shout out, um, we have a new guide written by Hannah, who runs our marketing, essential guide to backups for your Airtable bases. So if you're looking to ways to um, back it up, there's different ways that you can do it. Uh, obviously, Antwerp is, is our preferred way, but there's other ways that you can do it and reasons why this um, guide will walk you through all the different ways that you could potentially back up your data. And the easiest, of course, is to use Antwerp in a couple, in a minute or two, you can have your data backed up and stored in your Google Drive box or Dropbox location where you have better control and know that your data is safe and secure. So check us out at Antwerp.com. All right. Scott, if you want to share your screen, Scott's going to be showing us some tricks using Airtable and Make to create some inline actions in emails. Right. Yes. All right. Okay, cool. So I'm going to show off how you can create emails that you send to people where they have a choice of things to click on in their emails. And just from clicking on the link in the email, they can control your Airtable database. And I was just working on this with a, with a client last week. Uh, he's actually a friend of the show. He might be watching right now. His name is Nick. So shout out to Nick if he's watching right now. And um, basically, I'm going to show you how it works first. And then I'll show you a peek behind the scenes of how it's set up. So basically, let's say we have this uh, base here that's a marketing campaign tracking base. And let's say that you've got all these different campaigns here and you can see some of them are in development, some of them are approved, some of them are denied. And let's say that you want to send this information to your client and you want them to either approve or deny the campaign. And you could see here, you have different choices here for approved or denied. Now, you know, there's a bunch of different ways this could be done. If you have them sign up for an Airtable account, you may not want them to come into your base, but you could create an interface for them where they don't see the rest of your base and they could come in and they could change it from approved to denied. Um, you know, there are a bunch of ways to do it um, if you want them interacting with Airtable directly. But you know, a lot of times you don't really want that. You know, if it's just a customer and you don't want them to set up an Airtable account, you don't even want them to know you're even using Airtable. Um, and this can be used for a whole bunch of different things where you may not want to open up any part of your base to the person. So this would be a way where you can have somebody control your base, the data in your base from an email. So I'll show you what this looks like. So let's say that we've got this Instagram campaign right here, and this is in development, and now it's time for us to send this to the client for approval. So I'm gonna change this to send for approval. Now what that's doing is that's actually triggering an automation in Airtable 
And it's sending out an email right now. And when it's done sending the email, it's going to change that field to sent for approval. So you know that it's been sent. And then on the receiving end, I'm going to go into my email inbox here. So pretend that I'm the client or the customer. And I get this email here that says your approval is needed on the following campaign. And I just list the different fields from that record. And then here's where the magic begins. Down at the bottom of the email, there's two different links to click on. And one says, click here to approve this campaign. And the other one says, click here to deny this campaign. So I'm gonna click on this one, click here to approve this campaign. And when I click there, it takes me to this page here. It says, thank you for approving the Instagram campaign. And when I come back into my Airtable base, we can see that sure enough, the Instagram campaign has been changed to approved. And the same thing would happen if I uh, clicked on click here to deny this campaign. It says we've received a request to deny the Instagram campaign. And when we come back in here, it has now been changed to denied. So in essence, the uh, recipient of that email is controlling your Airtable base just by clicking on the links in the email. And you could set things up, of course, where if it's already been approved, you know, they can no longer click on those links, you know, it won't do anything. You know, you could get really, really advanced with this stuff. That was just a very basic, basic example. And it's super, super easy to set this up. It, it would only take maybe 15 minutes or less to set this up. And I'm going to show you how you do it. And so I do it using make.com, which is one of my favorite tools that I use all the time. And with make.com, they offer web hooks and they offer mail hooks and web hooks. Mail hooks, I'm not going to cover today, but that involves sending email messages to a special email address. But for the sake of this example, we're using a custom web hook. And what a web hook is, is it is a, it's like a listener. It's waiting for information to be sent to it. And when information is sent to it, then it takes any sort of actions that you want to take. So what I've done here inside Make is I've set up two different automations. One is for the approval webhook. That would be that first link that the person clicks on. And then the second one is if they click on the second link, which is a denied webhook. So this is what I set this scenario to look like. And basically when you create a webhook in Make, it gives you this special URL right here. So this is a unique random URL with all these random letters and numbers at the end here. And what happens is whenever information is sent to this URL, um, it, that this uh, make will then receive that information that you're sending to that URL. And then you could do whatever you want with that information. So the way that, so what I've done is, so the way I've set this up in Airtable is this, I've copied this address because this is the unique URL for approving uh, one of those records. And in back in Airtable, I've got two hidden fields here. And they're both formulas. I've got the approval webhook and the denied webhook. So I'm going to scroll over here to the right. And you could see here that I've got uh, a very long URL here. And let's go into the formula to take a look at this. So basically, when we break this down, this is what the formula looks like. I'll separate this on the separate lines here. So the first line is just the URL that you got from make.com. This is the webhook URL. Now, if you click on that, you know, just on its own, it, it really won't do anything because you're not sending it any information 
with it. So what you want to do is you want to send parameters. You can send as many parameters as you want to that webhook. And the way you send parameters is the, you put the question mark right before the first parameter. If there were more parameters, by the way, you would put an and symbol in between all the parameters. But in this case, we're just putting one parameter. So we don't have to worry about the and symbol. We just put the question mark. And then you can call the parameter whatever you want. So I want to call it the word record. You can call it whatever you want. And then you put the equal sign. And then I'm putting in the record ID of this particular record. And if you don't know what the record ID is, every single record in Airtable has its own unique record ID that Airtable assigns to it. If you ever just want to see what it is, you could just create a formula. There's, there's also another way to see it too, but but I'm going to show you how to do it through the formula here. Um, you just choose record ID from their functions here, and you close the parentheses there. And this is a quick way for you to see what the record ID is that's assigned to each record in Airtable. And so when we create this formula here, we have the, you can see the full URL here. It's the webhook, question mark, record equals, and then the record ID. So when you click on that, what you're doing is you're sending the record ID over to make. And then the same thing happens with the denied webhook because each one of those um, scenarios in make has a different webhook. So now, now that you've got the formula set, you just have to go into your automations in Airtable and put those, uh, those formulas into your email. So this is the uh, automation that I set up in Airtable. And it will trigger when you change the status to send for approval. So when you're ready to send this out to your client for approval, you choose it, send for approval, and that will trigger this automation. And then here is where it sends the email. And in the email, I used markdown formatting to put the words, click here to approve this campaign. You put that in square brackets. So you put the text that you want the users to see in square brackets. And then you put the URL in uh, regular uh, parentheses. So right next to it, I put the approval webhook, just like that. So it's pulling that formula from the record. And the reason I didn't type in uh, the whole URL there was because the URL will be different based on which record is triggering the automation. So if I generate a preview here, you can see what it looks like. This is the email. And oh, and of course I did it for the other link as well. Click here to deny this campaign. So this is what the beautiful email will look like. So then that's it. That's all you have to do on the Airtable side. Then from the make side, what you do is you just set up uh, an automation to do whatever you wanna do. You could do a zillion different things with make. This is a very simple example. What will happen is when it receives the record ID from Airtable, I mean, from the person clicking on the uh, on that link, I'll actually show it to you again. I'm gonna run this in Make. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go into my email and I'm gonna click on, click here to approve this campaign. And you'll see back here, oh, it already ran, it was that quick. Um, it ran the campaign. So what it did was it received the record ID that we're talking about. And then we can work with that in any way that we want. So the very first thing, I just made two different paths here. 
So the very first thing we want to do is we want to update that particular record with the word approved for status. So that's the first thing it's going to do. It's actually going to go into Airtable. It's going to update that record with the word approved. And then the second thing it's going to do is it's going to pull information from that record. So what I told it to do is I told it to get a record. Um, you can see here it says get a record. And I told it to pull information from that record that we sent it. And you'll see right here, here's all the information about that record. It pulls in the attachment URLs. It pulls in all the information about that record. And the reason I wanted to pull in all that information was because you can also give people a webhook response. And that's when you see this. Thank you for approving the Instagram campaign. You can give any sort of a response that you want. And so what I did was I actually said, thank you for approving the and I pulled in the campaign name from Airtable. So that's why I have the get a record here because any information that's in Airtable, you can then use as part of your response. And the thing that's really, really cool about these responses is that these support full HTML. So even though for the sake of this demo, I just have one little sentence here and it's just bold. I basically formatted this with header one formatting for HTML you could literally create an entire HTML page if you wanted to. You could actually redirect to another uh, web page. There's actually a ton of things that you can do with the, um, with the webhook responses. This is the documentation on Make's website. Um, and you could see all the different things that you can do with it. And so it's very cool because you can pretty much do anything that you want, uh, if it can be done in a web page, as the response to that person. And so, but for this, I just put a little, where is my thing? Here it is. I just put a little sentence and I put the name of the campaign, but you can make that as elaborate as you want. So that is it. That is the way to give anybody you want access to controlling a record or multiple records in your base. And that's it. Oops. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that um, that feature of the response. I don't think Zapier does that. Like that alone is is a powerful make feature. That is the response yeah. part. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Zapier yeah. Leads you to like a really ugly looking white page that's like success and blah 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 a bunch of <laughs> code. Yeah. Awesome. I think the most I've done with makes. Um, webhook response pages, I've made it so that clicking on the link takes you to an HTML form that has like a table of all of whatever record you clicked on, linked records with like, check this box to do whatever. And then like basically designing my own form builder inside of the response. So when you click submit, it updates all of those records um, back right. in your table. So like you could, Beautiful. like Scott said, you could do quite a lot with um, just that page, provided, of course, you know how to use HTML. Yeah, that's really beautiful that you embedded a form in there. That would also be great for like surveys for customers. Like, did you enjoy your experience with your customer service rep? And then they could fill out comments and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Camille, when they hit submit on your forms, then wh uh, what does that trigger then from that point? Or is it an Airtable form? 
No, it's an HTML form. So what I, I wanted an HTML form because I wanted um, a table inside of it. So HTML table um, where each of the checkboxes is a form field, essentially. So I wanted a fairly, uh, I wouldn't say complex, but a, fa a fairly specific ask. Um, and no form builder really want, got what I wanted and it always had to be pre-filled with a particular record. So I made it all in HTML and then the submit button um, took all of the form data. Um, and this is this is regular like HTML form behavior. It didn't really do anything special, but it submitted it to a separate webhook and that webhook parsed that information and shoved it back in your table. That's so awesome. That is so awesome. This is so, the power of make and HTML combined together. Yeah, you could do cool stuff. One thing, I don't know if this is true, but back in my days when I, I used to do a lot of email sending for a company and, um, and so I was more involved in email and somebody told me that um, some of the spam detectors will actually like go through your email and actually click on the links yeah. to make sure that it's not sending you to uh, to a bad website. And so you may need to be careful because they may actually go to those web hooks, which would automatically trigger the updates. Um, and this so is, that's something. Yeah. I've actually had that happen with um, a colleague of mine. We were trying to build like a, you know, like, click to do this in the database functionality mm -hmm. with our emails. And we started getting people added to the database as like interested in doing a certain thing when they were like, no, I never clicked that link. And yeah, there was because of their, their spam filters was, was doing exactly that. Wow. That's interesting. You know, some work, maybe a quick workaround of that would be if somebody shares Slack with you, you could send it in a Slack message instead or other ways. I'm trying to yeah. think maybe other ways that are not email maybe, or, or if that, if that HTML, they have to click a button on that page to send yeah. it in, to confirm. Oh yeah, um, even better, even better. Yeah, yeah, so, something yeah. like that. Yeah, uh, or yeah. <laughs> Airtable form to confirm. You yeah, know. yeah, you could do that. Yeah, and I wish. Yeah, the Airtable forms. I wish their redirect feature where you can give it a URL. I wish that was instant and oh, not have that wait. That's kind of stupid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or yeah. if, even if it made you wait, I wish I could control the, the page you see while you're waiting because you yeah. have either or. Either you show them a custom message, which could be very nice, or you can redirect them. And if you redirect them, it just says, you will be redirected to this, whatever the URL is. And I'm yeah. like, well... I would want it to say, thank you for submitting the form. Hold on just one Please second wait. or something, yeah. you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you could do it with a uh, fill out. You could, you could send them to a fill yeah. out form. Yeah. Fill out is super cool. Yeah. More and more. I'm, I'm enjoying fill out. Yeah. Use the onto air uh, coupon. It'll get you a discount. Love it. Oh, nice. That's All right, right, let's move on. Camille, gonna show us the latest and greatest of timelines. 
Um, I have realized that it would make more sense to move these to a different window. Hold on. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Okay. There we go. So not long ago, we had a segment on um, some adjustments made to the timeline view. They have updated once again, the sort of high level um, read on these particular batches of updates. This is more to do with the utilization summary feature for timeline view. It's something unique to timeline view and it basically allows you to select a linked record field um, in your uh, table of choice, wherever the timeline lives and um, provide a visualization for how much that particular resource has been utilized over time. And you have some controls over um, how that time is split up. Is it by hours? Is it by weeks, et cetera, um, how it's colored. Um, a lot of that was already a feature. What they've done is made things a little bit more smooth. And if you didn't have the table structure in place already for some of these features, they now give you a more direct way of creating um, that table structure. So um, I'm going to do my best to sort of talk through what that looks like. So I have a very, I don't want to say a very simple task manager because this is slightly different from many task managers I've seen. Um, I say that because a lot of times you have projects and tasks and people, and that's kind of where it stops. This has a table um, for hours. And what that means is um, for each task, um, all the people who are assigned to that task are linked individually with how many hours they are expected to perform on that particular task. Um, so this is more for if Felix is supposed to work 30 hours on task 1.2, but Harvey is supposed to work 25 hours on task 1.2. If you need that kind of specificity, you'll want this type of table structure. If you need something a little bit more simple, then projects and tasks would be more appropriate. Because I have this set up, that's why my timeline view is within the hours table and not in the task table. Again, because I'm linking the people, my resource, to um, the hours table and not directly to tasks. Hopefully that was clear. Um, so going over just high level, um, all of the date settings are the same um, as they were previously. Um, the customized labels are the same where you can have something that isn't the primary field um, listed as the label. You can have multiple things as part of the label, et cetera bold and italicize certain parts of the label. That's all the same. Um, appearance, we talked about last time where um, you now have the option for record width being expanded versus precise. Expanded means it would take up, you know, exact increments along um, your timeline. So if this started on December 8th, instead of starting in the middle of this block, it would start directly at six because that's the start of the week and that's how I've broken up my time. What's different um, are very specific things within the summarize um, 
setting at the top. Now, I don't recall this being a, um, a menu option before. It used to be um, you would click into the group to get that kind of information. Now it's up at the top under Summarize. So um, Summarize has some very basic um, aggregations. These should be familiar if you're used to working with um, rollups. All of these up at the top, to my knowledge, are the same. Some will just, you know, add things that count, will just count things. Utilization is the one that has changed. Um, all of the other summarizations can be shown at your various different groups. Um, you'll see I'm grouping by person and then I'm grouping by project. If I had sum or count or mean, et cetera, I'd be able to see that information summarized at both the person and the project level. Utilization is only available at whatever group uh, represents your resource. In this case, my resource is people. The first setting, um, allocated hours. So they describe it as the time required by a specific record. If I really quickly, um, go back to my setup, you'll see that for each person, for each task, I have planned amounts of hours and actual hours. In this case, um, the weight of each task is basically what it's asking me. That is the planned amount of hours for each person. Um, and then for total, this is something that's going to really depend on how you've set up your base. And there's some, I don't really know if there's a right way or wrong way. It's a matter of how you want to organize your data. Um, for me, when I say the planned amount of hours for this person for this task is, um, I think I said 30, that's how long, um, how many hours it would take for the whole task. But you also have the ability to say 30 hours is how much they're going to be spending per day or per week or per month. Um, in this case, total is appropriate. Now, um, available hours is where things have changed, um, I think more so than with allocated hours. This is pretty much how it used to work um, before, uh, before I get anywhere. Um, these are all pretty basic, so I'm probably not gonna go too far into label color and show in, I'll just skip into available hours. So it has a whole separate sort of configuration screen because there's kind of a lot in here. Resource, again, here's um, where you would put in what or whom you're counting hours for. Um, in this case, that's uh, person or people. Um, this option, working hours, the typical working hours for a resource this kind of confused me when I was first setting things up in timeline. Again, this works similarly to how it was before, but it's um, under the hood. Airtable is sort of calculating things a little bit more reliably based on whatever you choose for this setting. If I go to my people table, um, very simple. I have each of my people, you know, how much their hourly rate is, but I also have their availability. Availability in this case for me would be how many hours per week they might spend or they have available to spend on any, um, all of their tasks. 
going back into my hours table where I've set up that timeline, that is the field that I want communicated. It's a field that relates to whatever your resource is and how much time they have to spend in a given um, timeline to spend on these different tasks. Similarly to um, where I showed total a second ago, you can change what you mean by availability. For me, I said 20 hours per week is normal for um, all of my people, but you might say that you know, 20 hours per day would be insane, but you could do that if you wanted um, mm -hmm. per week or per month. So you do have that flexibility of <coughs> defining um, availability in a couple of different ways. I'm gonna um, put that back to uh, week, but you should be able to see that um, things are adjusting themselves in my summary bar as I make that calculation adjust for how, mu how much is available per day, per week, et cetera. Um, and now we have a separate option for account for time off. Um, this was a feature before, but it was somewhat hard to um, hard to get in there. So to sort of demonstrate the uh, things that they've added, I'm just gonna really quickly create a new uh, timeline view. I'm gonna set it up largely the same as it was set up before, grouping by person and then by project. Um, that's fine. Going into summarize, you would choose utilization, um, allocated hours. Again, that's planned. Total is fine. Available hours. There's a lot you need to click in order to get this to work. My resource, once again, is person. Um, and then I'm just going to skip straight to account for time off to see what that would look like. Before you would have to definitely have this um, table structure in place, what is it? It's expecting a table where each record shows one or more of your resources and a time range where they are unavailable. If you don't have that table in place, now Airtable will create a table for you with that structure, um, which is fairly nice. I do have that table available. It's called vacations. So um, it knows that my resources um, person, so it's looking in the people table for a linked record field to something other than um, hours, because it knows it's not this table. This is where all my tasks are, not where all my vacations are. So um, my link to my vacations um, the start date and end date of my vacations. You don't need an end date, but it's nice to have. I might call this vacation instead of um, PTO. Um, and then really quick, quickly looking at what your vacations table would look like. Either you've created this yourself or you've used the button for Airtable to create it for you. It's just a link to um, one or more resources. You can enable this to have more than one person linked per record, and then the start date. Again, end date is optional. Um, it's useful for having more than one person on a record if um, I think the example they use in their documentation is if the whole office is closed for the week of Christmas, for example, then everyone is off that um, week 
you don't necessarily have to create one record per employee. You could just link them all to one record, which is pretty nice. Um, there's just so much going on yeah, with the timeline view yeah, now. There's so much here. <laughs> there's so much going on. So those are those are all of the settings, I think. Um, just really quickly, again, in the show in option, you can only show the utilization function in whatever group represents your resource. Again, for me, that is person slash people. So I can only show it in my person group. Um, all that to say, I have some very basic coloring for when utilization is more than, I think I said 50, color that time block red for that person. So, um, you know, Felix is has pretty good utilization everywhere except for in this uh, sort of three week span, that's where it's color coded. That's not necessarily new. It's all about how, how these numbers are kind of arrived at, if that makes sense. I have all of these different hours that, um, were planned for each of these individual tasks that are being stretched across the entire length of the task because I chose total rather than per day or per week or per month. And then Airtable is counting up um, this task to last 730 days. And I said it was, you know, 30 hours or something total for Felix specifically. And then it's counting whatever that divided um, you know, the total number of days by the um, total hours for the task, dividing that up, then doing the same for all of the other tasks, um, for all of the different projects, and then rolling that up into, for this particular week, how many hours is Felix going to be working for these particular tasks for this particular period of time, based on how much um, I've said he is available for each particular week. So it's fairly <laughs> complex. Yeah. It, it takes some learning to um, find a way to make this make the most sense for you. Um, and part of that learning curve has to do with how you set up your particular um, base. Because again, you might, I've said that I want to track availability by week, but for other people, it might make more sense um, to track it by individual day. On a day-to-day -day basis, I have eight hours to work. Um, whereas other people, you might say, well, I'm not going to spend all 40 hours I work in the week doing these projects. I'm going to be spending another portion of my time doing administrative tasks or something like that. And that's why I chose 20 instead of 40 hours a week. It's kind of up to you how you divide some of these numbers up to determine how available someone is. And then Airtable does its very best in trying to visualize for you. So this is, hopefully this sort of explained what these features do, but it really is something that I think everyone needs to play around with a lot to really get a handle on, you know, what exact setup works best for them. But it, it is nice that it will create a vacations 
yeah. you know, PTO or whatever you want to call it table for you if you didn't already have one, because otherwise, you know, it does require specific table set up in order to use this kind of information. And so they've kind of eliminated that if you didn't happen to have this table already created. Camille, does it understand if one person is linked to many different vacation records? Yes. Nice. So, you know, Felix has this one vacation here, but Felix can have another vacation that's, you know, from the 7th, a whole year later to like, you know, the 19th. And if I went, I don't, I don't think yeah. he has any hours over there, but it would take that into account for um, that week, but he's just not he shouldn't be available if that makes sense now i have not figured out how to handle i've said in your typical week to week felix is available 20 hours a week if there's a you know very specific instance where he's available 30 hours that week i have no idea how you would mm. you know portray that um but that's fairly that's a lot of detail that um, I don't know if you necessarily need, but that is something to take right. into account. It's really a matter of averages. On average, he's available 20 hours a week. And in these specific days or weeks, you know, talking about the vacations table, he's not available at all is, mm -hmm. is how Airtable is giving you the ability to visualize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Now, awesome. a while back, I noticed, I don't know if they've fixed this or not, and this was like definitely well over a year ago, but it, under the date settings, um, there's the ability to stay, you know, all calendar days are only work days. And mm -hmm. if you do only work days, it didn't take weekends out of the calculations. Mm, I have not tested work. that. I haven't yeah. looked at it in a while. I would hope that it does, but it basically, because before it's like, okay, they might be available 20 hours a day, but that's only on the weekdays, not on the weekends. Right. right. Um, so something to look at. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I found that interesting. Nice. Awesome. Thank you, Camille, for sharing that. You can tell that uh, Airtable is definitely investing heavy into their timeline with all the updates. So they're definitely, I imagine, getting demand to, to make that as, as, as uh, feature-rich as possible. So let's move on. Quick shout out to join our community at Built on Air. Uh, you'll interact with thousands of other Airtable users who are all fans of it. Join us at builtonair.com slash join. That will get you into our Slack channel as well. Let's end with Allie and some scripting. Awesome. All right. Um, I'm going to go over a really quick example of um, time stamping a record using a very simple script. Um, so this is a CRM type database that I've got set up for demos. Um, let's say that after I enter in an, a particular interaction with a person, I want to send them a follow-up. Um, and then I want to timestamp that record with the date and time that I sent that actual follow-up. Um, let me just make sure that I've got... Well, I don't really need to go through the whole email thing. But 
So I've set this up so that it would be tr uh, triggered quite like Scott had his triggered by a single select. Um, basically, if I'm once I'm done typing in all my notes, um, then I can go over to my single select and say, yep, I want to send this follow up. Um, and that will be my trigger for the automation that I am about to create quickly. Um, so I would say when a record matches conditions on the interactions table, and those conditions are going to be when that single select field is set to send follow-up. Um, and what I like to do is now say you don't want that follow-up to go out more than once. That's where this trick comes in really handy. Like if I've already sent this follow-up, it's marked as follow-up sent, and then somebody somehow comes back in here and changes this back to send again. But I don't want it to go out twice because now my client or the person I'm interacting with has already received an email and it might just be confusing for them to receive too. Um, I also put in a little fail safe into my automation trigger to say where follow-up sent is empty. So basically what's gonna happen is we're going to trigger this automation, we send the email, and then we go back and update the record to say um, what date and time we sent that follow-up. And so that will make, make sure that this field is no longer empty. And the next time somebody goes to try and send it again, it won't go out because we've got this fail safe in our trigger. Um, so whatever you want to have happen here, I'm not going to go through setting up the email step, but you could, you know, this could work for any number of different automation flows. Um, something would happen, we would send the email, we would go, you know, do some sort of action. And then I would write a little script. And very simple, we want to define our table. So we say base.getTable interactions. And then we just want to define one field on that table. So we'd say table.getField. And that field is going to be follow up sent. Now we need to um, put in our input variable, which is just going to be the record ID of the record that triggered this automation. Um, and then we can define our input.config variable, which I usually say let config equal input.config. So now I can access via this config object anything that I've put over here um, for my input variables. So now I can actually just write the call, um, which is going to be await table.updateRecordAsync. And then the record that we want to update. I'm going kind of fast just for time here, but this is going to be config.record is saying, all right, I'm going to update the record that triggered this automation. And then the field I want to update is the one I've defined up here. And in JavaScript, if you just write new space date with a capital D, open and close parentheses, this creates a new date time object um, that will just insert the current date and time into that field. Um, so let's actually grab that record really quickly. 
I'm going to skip over the send an email part and just test this action here. And when we go back to look, that should just fill it in right now with the current date and time. Um, I like doing it this way. A lot of people might use, like, I've seen people do this where they use now as a field, and then they take this value and just copy it and paste it into there. But I don't like that for a number of reasons. We've gone over on this podcast, which is now is a very expensive field type. It's going to slow down your base. And also, as you can see, Using the JavaScript step, very simple little script. Always uses, um, I believe it always uses the time zone that you're currently in that this is being run from. Um, and that's it, just a few lines of code and it'll timestamp that record. That is very handy. That's very cool. Now, there's no one, oh, go on. Go ahead. I was gonna say, there's no one that makes scripting look as easy as Allie, that's number one. <laughs> And number two, Ali, I love how you do the lightning bolt like emojis to let people know that those are like automation triggers. Thank you. Yeah, I, I love doing that. It's it comes in really handy. Like I know that, hey, this is going to be these two are both involved in an automation. Um, and then this emoji here is saying, all right, that's going to actually trigger it. Um, if I were getting really fancy, you know, I would also either write right into the script, changing that single select or sometimes I just do an update step here because it's great because you're not actually paying per step, which is amazing. Thank you, Airtable. <laughs> um, <laughs> we would just set it up like this. Even fancier, what I would do is I would use conditional logic um, to say, like, I'd put all of this inside of one conditional block to say, all right, if follow-up sent this field is empty, do this. Otherwise, change this back to follow-up sent. Mm. because nice. now that I've sent this out once and if somebody comes back and changes this, it's just going to get stuck like that. Cause the automation just doesn't run. Right. Smart. So, complex. Yeah. I might talk about that if I had more time, but um, that's, that's nice. Awesome. Thank you, Ali. That is great. Very useful. At some point Airtable is going to make, a configuration where you can insert the now, you know, like you would think yeah. they would have that for data fields. I would yes, hope. that would be Were very you useful. You know that's coming or you're hoping that's coming? I'm hoping. I oh, would okay. expect it to. <laughs> you would think it would already be there, but. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But until then, Ali's got us covered with the right. fancy script. So <laughs> very cool. Well, that concludes it. I did want to, Scott, tell us about uh, table forms. You find scott there oh yes come to tableforums.com the unofficial Airtable discussion community it's a great community all of us are there and you can ask questions share thoughts about Airtable. it's a it's another great community for you guys to join yep yeah we usually spotlight it we didn't happen to have any today but it's usually in the rotation that we try to spotlight so yeah check it out great conversations more long form really good long discussions of, of topics and things there. So thank you all for joining. We will be back next week with our final episode of the season. So join us next week. See y'all then. Thanks. Bye.
you for joining today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out our sponsor, ontair.com. And we will see you next time on the Built On Air podcast.